Hey everyone, just a quick note. If you listened to our last episode, you would have heard that this episode got to be very, very large. Lots of Gen, Gen Con interviews. So we broke it up in two parts. You are li now listening to part two. So please be sure to check out part one if you haven't, and please enjoy part two. I'm Erin M. Evans, author of Forgotten Realms novels, and you're listening to Genretainment. <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks. And Julie. Genretainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not-so-independent creations. Now for this special episode, we have a number of interviews from Gen Con the longest-running gaming convention in the world, which did have a record in attendance with 61,423 individual attendees. That's like counting the jelly beans in the big jar. I know, right? And I was one of those this year. Were you number 61,423? Yeah, sure. Okay. We'll go with that. And I just got back from Gen Con. And even though its focus is on gaming, there is much more than just that. So with the interviews, I start off... With the Gen Con Film Festival, then interview over a dozen authors over an author's alley, and then wrap up the interviews back at the film festival. Now we'll have links to the different authors and filmmakers in the show notes, so be sure to check them out if you hear a book or film you think you would like to read or watch. Let's get to those interviews, which I should of course mention that since they're at the convention, there is a lot of background noise at times, which I hope you can bear with us on. You couldn't get everyone at the convention to be quiet no, so you could conduct be quiet. an interview? No, they wouldn't be quiet. I was like... Quiet, everyone. How rude. Or Quiet filming. on the set. And, no, it didn't work. work. No. Okay. Now, before we get started with the interviews, we should point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It was a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy. And you can find our web series at realityondemandseries.com. Now, let's get started with the Gen Con interviews. Hey, guys. I'm up here at uh, Gen Con in Neapolis at the author alley and i am at the angry robot booth with maurice broadus what uh book or books is here that is yours right so i'm here with uh the knights of breton court it's actually the my omnibus uh so i, I had written an urban fantasy trilogy kingmaker king's justice and king's war and uh, it's basically the retelling of the legend of king arthur except i've said it in modern day indianapolis and it's told through the eyes of uh, homeless teenagers and gang members and drug dealers interesting interesting so who's the character that plays king arthur well the king arthur character his name is, is uh king and, uh, and that's all, all basically all he's known as and then uh he's sort of in book one he's coming to terms with the fact that he's uh the incarnation of king arthur and so he's spending his time gathering together his knights and preparing for the battle he knows is coming and then dealing with, you know, the various monsters I decide to throw at him during the course of all that. Because, you know, a hero has to be tested. <laughs> and I think if I read correctly, you're from Indianapolis. And is this set in Indianapolis? Yep, it's set in Indianapolis. Um, it's a side of Indianapolis most people don't uh, think about. Because, uh, like I said, it's towards the eyes of homeless teenagers. And so uh, it's kind of like I deal with it sort of like, a, a, you know, the high symbolism, you know, of, you know, the same way magic works. It's all around us. And sometimes we just don't know what it is we're looking at or what we're looking for in order to see it. So 
So I really love the, the magic that I get to, you know, as an excuse to use it in the, in the, in the book series. <laughs> Where can people find you online? Online, you can find me at mauricebroadus.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook as Maurice Broadus. I'm not real subtle about all that. So I try to make it real easy on folks. So yeah, yeah anybody can hit me up there anytime. Great, thanks. Let me ask you a little bit more about Angry Robot. So what, can you tell me a little bit more about some of these other Angry Robot books? Yeah, so Angry Robot's been in business since 2009, and we're here at Gen Con for the first time, which is very exciting. Uh, we have some attending author books. Um, in the rest of our list, we just released uh, The Singular and Extraordinary Tale, Tale of Mirror and Goliath by Ishbel B. It's a debut novel, uh, kind of Victoriana dark fantasy in the style of a fairy tale about a uh, young girl named Mirror and her shape-shifting guardian who is being uh, tracked down by a, a sinister uh, barrister, uh, John Lockhart, who was twisted by his own adopted father. So you have uh, kind of adventures in shape-shifting and fairyland, and it's, uh, my publisher des described it as like Alice in Wonderland goes to hell, and it's doing really well for us. Uh, we're very excited. We have the second book, The Curious Tale of the Butterfly Girl, coming in August, um, so just this next month. Uh, re releasing rapidly, and that's very cool. And you just sewed a copy right in front of me, so it must be doing well. Yes, thank you. We have a, a, an absolutely gorgeous cover by John Coltart, so that definitely helps. We have The Bullet Catcher's Daughter by Rod Duncan, which was nominated for the Philip K. Dick Award last year, which is a, a major award in science fiction for paperback releases. It's an alternate history about a England divided by the Luddite Rebellion, and the main character is a young woman in the more restrictive uh, version of England uh, on a border town in Leicester, and she cross-dresses to pose as her non-existent brother and work as a consulting detective. So it's got a strong mystery element, and there's a second book, Unseemly Science, that we released earlier this year, and there'll be at least one more next year. Uh, for folks who are more into fantasy, we have uh, Seven Forges, which is a kind of a dark epic fantasy series by James, Moore, James A. Moore, who has done a lot in like dark fantasy and horror. And it is about a like kind of an elder mercenary soldier guy who is leading an expedition and runs into the Sabah Talor, who are this warrior people who all live with underneath volcanoes, worshiping the gods of the volcanoes who are all gods of war. And we have kind of tentative diploma, diplomatic alliance between uh, the, the mercenaries nation and the Sabah Talor, and then things quickly fall apart. So you get kind of your bloody, action-packed, kingdom-level epic fantasy. In other attending authors, we have the Tao Trilogy by Wesley Chu, um, who is a twice a uh, John W. Campbell Best Newcomer nominee. And the Tao series is kind of a zero to hero. The main character, Rowan, is like a slacker, underemployed IT worker who gets an alien named Tao in his brain. But all Tao can do to talk is talk to him. And Tao has been incarnating into mammals for millennia. And he's part of one of two factions of his alien species, one faction, Taos, wants to nurture humanity until they can develop technology to go into the stars to get the aliens back home. The other faction will do anything and is willing to destroy humanity to get home. So that's a, 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 some selection of what we do at Angry Robot. You can find us at angryrobotbooks.com. We sell all of our ebooks DRM free from our own website, and we're available anywhere you can get a Random House or Penguin book. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Take care. I'm Hans Cummings, um, author, publisher, and uh, any award submissions coordinator. I have the Zach Jackson series, which um, I just sent out the third book in that series last year here at Gen Con. 
And then I started a new series, which debuted here at Gen Con, called Scars of the Sundering, and the first book, Malediction, debuted two days ago. And so far, I've almost sold out of those. What's this new book about? This new book um, sort of continues the adventures of some characters from my previous fantasy series uh, called The Foundation of Draconor. So that story continu continues their adventures, although I've tried to written it so I've tried to write it so that you don't have to have read, read the previous series in order to get that one. So basically, they have to kind of answer for some of the mistakes of their youths and finding out that all of the responsibility that they wanted so badly in the in the previous series that now they actually have there's consequences to those decisions. Ah, I see. And you, like you said earlier, you have a, a third. Zach Jackson book out. Well, I guess first off, tell people what Zach Jackson's right. about. The Zach Jackson series is a uh, young adult sci-fi series. It's uh, relatively hard sci-fi um, compared to other young adult science fiction series. So it takes place in the 43rd century and follows the um, life and adventures of a uh, kid from Wyoming who goes off and joins a, an intragalactic uh, scouting organization. And in the third book, Jack Jackson and the Hives of Valtra, he goes on a basically a camping trip to one of his friends' homeworld, Valtra, which is the homeworld of the Valtraxians, which, if you podcast listeners could see what I'm showing you, I have a statue of a Valtraxian on my table right now, sculpted by a local sculptor. It's very large. Yes, it's not quite life-size. <laughs> otherwise, I wouldn't be able to transport it. So. But they're friendly aliens. They're friendly bug aliens. I see an anthology book here. Right. The anthology was published by Fear the Boot, which is a uh, podcast out of St. Louis. And um, I have, I have a story in each of the anthologies they published. The one I'm selling here is the very first one. Um, I unfortunately don't have copies of the second one. And the third one is coming later this year. I think November is the, do is the goal. And what's, uh, what's next for you? What's your next book? Uh, the next book will be book two in Scars of the Sunring, Lament. Um, I've written it, but it needs, it needs to be edited. So hopefully that's coming later this year or very early next year. And where can people find you and your work online? Um, the easiest place to find me is on Amazon. Um, you can search for Hans Cummings or uh, BFF Publishing, either one. Thank you. Okay, thanks very much. Hi, my name is Jay Erickson. I'm the author of The Blood Wizard Chronicles. It's a series and also a novella line. And what's uh, Blood Wizard Chronicles about? Well, Blood Wizard Chronicles... The main novels follow the path of a young man named Ashen Rune. He has tragedy strike him at an early age, and he has to make a lot of tough decisions from a child all the way into when he's about 19 years old. How many books are there in the series? There will be a total of four in the series. Right now, there is one, and the second one is completed and being edited, and the third one is in process now. And I see a, an elf lady over here. Who's she? She represents a character named Rodia. Um, you would probably traditionally call her a villain, except for this novel focuses more on gray areas than your standard good versus evil. And so she is the antagonist of the novel. And I see you have a film festival. Uh, are you connected to a film also, or what's that? Um, years ago, I wrote a script for a film called The Empty Throne. It is actually playing in the film festival this year. Uh, on, at Saturday, 6 p.m. in the Weston Grand Ballroom, 1 and 2. <laughs> and is that world connected at all to this world or completely different? It actually is connected to this world. Uh, it takes place on the West Coast where this takes place on the East Coast. 
you can see in the map exactly where it's located. And where can people find your books and you online? You can go to www.authorjerickson.com and you can also locate me on Goodreads and Smashwords at Author J. Erickson. All right, great, thanks. Thank Thank you very much. My name is J. Wolf Scott and I write epic fantasy series. It's called The Children of Alberon. I have a prequel that just came out. Uh, it's, it's called The Sodality to kind of explain everything that's dark going into it. So. And you're not 12 years old because you're worried about your voice being 12. I'm not 12 years old, thank you. Um, so, really like your book covers. Um, who did your book covers? I do all of my work. I, I publish the inside and the outside. I have a graphics background, so that comes in really handy. Can you explain just a little bit more about uh, the backstory of your, of your books? Sure. It's an epic fantasy series that has crossover into the human realm in the modern day um, and into the fairy realm. Uh, basically where it came from is we have a legend in our town about a young girl that believed that there were fairies in her garden and I started asking the question well what if she was right and what started out as a short fairy tale for my daughter who was 17 at the time turned into basically a five book story because the fairies didn't stop talking at the end of the first book. And you said it was a legend in your town. What, can you say what town that is? I'm from Muncie, Indiana, and actually the girl in question was Elizabeth Ball, who was daughter to George Ball, who is famous for ball jars. So it sounds like an odd place to be, but we celebrate her belief in fairies every year, and the nice thing about it is that her spirit is woven into the story, but these characters have taken on a life of their own. Did you say how many books there were in the series so far? There are six books in the series with a seventh one on the way. It has strong warrior culture, um, strong female characters, and it's a fun ride. And where can people find you and your books online? I am on Amazon.com. Uh, I do. It's jwolfscott.com, and our books are both in paperback and Kindle version. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm J.R. Mounts. I am the author and artist and writer of Scary Tales Noir comic books, Pride Pickle Noir and Scary Tales with an I. So it's the not-so-scary fairy tales. This way they don't think I do horror stuff. Uh, okay. And I see, like, a giant pickle man here. Yes, that is the Cucumbersome. He is the main law in the fried pickle noir picture like sin city meets veggie tales all right fruits and vegetables going at it mob style in a seedless city called the pits rated v for vegetable violence and guaranteed by the fda to be healthy to read for you <laughs> and, and how many books do you have in each of these series right now for fried pickle noir i've got three books the raw dill kielbasa blanca and the dirty half dozen with a card game called cop salad that we're just rolling out here and under scary tales with an eye I've got three books and a musical where uh, the Snombies, which are reanimated snowmen that come alive and are hungry for clothing, they invade the town in Snombies, a musical monster piece. Can you tell us a little bit more about the game? Yes, all right. Well, Cop Salad is more like spades or hearts, or it's a trick-taking game where you've got several different factions. You've got wild cards. You've got six different versions of Cucumbersome, uh, several different strengths. You've got good guys like... Loco Nut or Donnie Tabrasco or the Killer Shrooms, Starchy and Husk. You also have guys that are on the fence, the shady characters like Cruel Ton or Hungry Jack or Philip Merlot. And then they've got the mad guys, the mobsters like Hater Tot 
or the honeyduke, or salmonella, or the kielbasa. The point is to get as many points as possible. Uh, if you can get three of one kind, you get more points. And basically, it's like any other thing. You win the job by getting the most points. Can you tell everybody where they can find you and your work online, both the books and the game? All right, yes. Yeah, so you can go to scarytalesnoir.com. That's scary with an I, so S-C-A-I-R-Y. Because, again, I don't want people thinking I'm doing horror comic books. I can be found online I, on there. I can also be found at my name, J.R. Mounts, on Facebook. And uh, basically, I've got a counter that tells you everywhere I'm going with links to every single place I'm going to in this world. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, man. Appreciate that, brother. I'm Ren Garcia. I write the League of Elder series, science fiction, fantasy uh, set of books with a ste- slight steampunk sort of bent. Um, deals with a completely made-up universe with improbable technology with enhanced people you know who have other humanly abilities that in some cases take the place of machines deals with the house of Blanchford um, Captain Davidge and his Countess Sigillis and eventually with their children and then eventually with uh, his paymaster who has his own adventures in the same universe. Yeah, they have really interesting covers, and you know they look very multi-genre-ish. Um, I see like one here. It's called "The Hazards of the Old Ones." Is there some uh, some Cthulhu-ish fun going on there? No, I'm wearing a Miskatonic University lanyard, but no, it actually deals with. Um, I had these Palladium books a long time ago, and and it was uh, you know adventures against the old ones. I think that's what it was called. I, and that might have had some Lovecraftian sort of thing to it. But I just remember I liked the name, the old ones. And the old ones referred to the gods. Kind of like Lovecraft, but these are more a lot different. God, you know, Lovecraftian gods are ultra-human, hard to take in at a glance, all-powerful. If you go against them, you're probably going to go insane. These are more fallible gods. You know, they're more approachable. They, uh, they always look like animals of some sort, and um, they just have a higher point of view, but they are the, the, the older folk, and then the younger folk are like the humans and so forth. And how many books are there so far? There's nine, and ten and eleven are already done, and they'll be out in a few months. I saw you here last year at Gen Con. How long have you been going to Gen Con? This is my fifth year. I do Gen Con, all the Comic Cons here in the Midwest. Um, I do a lot of really small shows, too. just depends on what I'm available for. Great. And where can people find you and your books? Um, you can go to www.thetempleoftheexplodinghead.com. That's my blog. It has links to all my books and so forth. And um, I think that's, that's the best link to find the books. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you very much. My name is Lee French. I have eight books. It's one trilogy of superhero stories, like the Heroes TV show, so no spandex. Um, one of them is an epic series that's got three books now, and it's written with a co-author, Eric Court. It'll eventually have 14 books, we hope. Um, I've also got a young adult urban fantasy that is about ghost hunting in Portland, and a dark fantasy that is about a girl, a young woman, who uh, starts out in a bad situation. It gets worse and worse and worse until she figures out that she has to rescue herself. And where are you guys based out of? I live in Olympia, Washington, and uh, my co-author Eric Court lives in uh, the Pacific Northwest also. Well, how long have you been at Gen Con, and uh, when did you start writing? This is my first Gen Con. 
Um, I've been doing other conventions in the Pacific Northwest, the regional ones like NorwestCon and GearCon. Um, I have been writing pretty much all of my life, but I started publishing about two years ago. These eight books are the work of two and a half years. And uh, you said you have a superhero trilogy, right? Did you say superhero trilogy? Yes, okay, let's make sure. <laughs> That's a dragon in front of it, so I don't know. Um, yes. the, the trilogy, uh, the main character, his superpower is that his whole body turns into a swarm of tiny little dragons. And so they each have like tiny little simple autonomous minds, and then he's a hive mind over it. That's cool. Where'd you get that idea from? A Mutants and Masterminds game. I love that game. It's awesome. Yeah, I run a game on a, an online message board called Mythweavers, and that's how the game started. Or the book started as the game, and so the main character in that is one of the NPCs. Okay. Did anything that happened in gameplay make it into the books? Some of it. It's uh, mostly the characters. The characters are all from the game originally, and the the plot is kind of the same, but not exactly. It, it's a lot more. It's a lot more complex in the game. We keep doing side quests and stuff like that, and the game's still ongoing now. And it hasn't finished, it hasn't gotten to the end, but the, the books have. Well, your players might read ahead. Well, this is one of the players sitting right next oh. to me, and he has read the books, and he's not gotten any spoilers out of it, so. All right, great, well, and where can people find you and your books online? All my books are available on Amazon and several other ebook locations. So they're ebook and print. Do you have an author somewhere? Uh, AuthorLeeFrench.com. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. My name is Maxwell Alexander Drake. I am a writer. I am the author of the Genesis Oblivion Saga. The first two novels are out. There's several novellas for it. Uh, I do tons of uh, short story anthologies. I've probably sold a dozen of them in the last couple of years. I'm also, re I had remastered Larry Elmore's Snarf Quest. So I spent the last nine months hand drawing over about 60% of all the art that he did originally back in the 80s, and it is being published for the very first time in one collection ever. I'm also the lead fiction writer for Sony's EverQuest Next. Actually, it's Daybreak Games EverQuest Next. It just got bought out. And then I have my first Shadowrun piece that just dropped here at Gen Con. Your uh, Genesis of Oblivion Saga first book is Farmers and Mercenaries. Can you tell, me, tell us a little bit about the concept of that first book? Well, it's, it's an epic fantasy saga, so it is a ensemble cast piece. I do rotate between main characters as we go through, but it also means that I am an author that does kill main characters because it's about the entire quest of all of them, not necessarily about any individual one. Um, I play with a lot of themes throughout the story. My biggest theme that I'm playing with is uh, what defines an individual as good or evil. So it's the classic, you know, good and evil type quest with a lot of shades of gray. I do try to put my heroes into positions where they have to make really tough choices that could be morally ambiguous or morally degrading. And then also my villains. I like putting them in situations where they might have to do things that you would consider are good. So I just like playing with the themes of the shades of gray as opposed to just the black and white good and evil. Now on the cover of the first book, there's a, uh, a lion man, I guess. What is that? What species is that? So the race is called Kithian. Um, they are a magically, genetically created race, so they are not natural to this world. Um, several thousand years ago, there was a massive war, and the biggest thing they needed was soldiers. So they started experimenting on different animals, and the Kithian was one of the ones that kind of made it. He is one of the main characters. He's actually the fan favorite. Probably 50% of my fans um, gravitate to him. His story is he starts off as a slave. He gets freed. He comes into society for the first time. And then 
he's really my Shakespeare. He's kind of my tragedy character. I do tend to punch him in the face a lot. Um, but he's got this proverbial, it'll be better tomorrow attitude. And he's also, since he's such a warrior and such a fighter, it's always, I can fight through this. I'm strong enough to beat this. Even if it's something emotional that he might not be able to deal with. Both sound really great. And EverQuest next? EverQuest next is a, um, it was the first MMO, massively multiplayer online role-playing game. Uh, EverQuest 1 came out in 99. EverQuest 2 came out in 2006. EverQuest Next is the third version of the game. It's not out yet. won't be out until 2017. It is not a continuation of the game. It's a reboot. So I am not beholden to 1 or 2 or the lore of 1 and 2. Uh, Sony, when it was Sony, hired me uh, at the very beginning. I actually worked for them for about a year before I could even say I was working for Sony because I was under an NDA. They hadn't announced the game yet. But um, my job is to flesh out the 20,000 years of history that happened prior to the players coming into the game. So if you're running around in the game and you find an old destroyed city, if you want to know how that city was destroyed, I might have written a story about that. So then you can go back, because everything I write is canon, so it is all a part of the lore of the game. The last story that I just uh, released for them is called Dreaming in Shadow. It's actually the number one played race in the game are called Dark Elves, and it is the origin story of Dark Elves. It's how they were created. So that was a lot of fun because it's not what normal you know, EverQuest next or EverQuest fans have knowledge. They, they've been playing the game for 15 years. So I played off of that and then went a completely different direction because I'm not beholden to that old lore. And it was a lot of fun. Was there any learning curve of trying to write something for a video game versus what you're used to? So originally they had hired me to write on the game and I only did it for about six weeks and it was way too much work. I don't work on the game itself. I do consult with the dev team and kind of if they need me to help them flesh something out or something like that. But I'm only working, basically I always say I'm, I'm in charge of the 20,000 years up to the point where the, where the players are going to take over and screw up everything that I've created. So it's, I'm, I'm the history in the past and I flesh it out. So writing for that, writing for Shadowrun, I'm just fleshing out stories and characters exactly the same way I do in any other novels that I write, uh, whether it's my own IP or whether it's somebody else's IP. The only difference is with somebody else's IP, they're giving me the world, they're giving me, sometimes they give me the characters, not all the time. Some of the characters that I write, in, especially with the Sony world or the uh, EverQuest Next world, are my own creation of characters. And you know, then they become part of their history and their culture and their world. Great. And uh, where can people find you and your work online? So my website, MaxwellAlexanderDrake.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook, same, Maxwell Alexander Drake, and I'm on Twitter. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. My name is Nathan Marchand, and I am the author of many books, as you can see. It reminds me of that passage in Ecclesiastes. Of the making of many books, there is no end. Anyway, I have Pandora's Box, which is military science fiction. And then I have my, one of my newest books is Ninjas and Talking Trees, which is book one of a fantasy comedy series. And then over here, I have Children of the Wells, which has two plot lines going on. And this is written by a team of writers, all of whom are friends of mine. Most of I went to college with uh, most of them. And over here are a couple of small, all the smaller books I've worked on that are also collaborations. The Day After is a short story collection. And Destroyer is a pulpy sci-fi novella that meant to emulate the classic Toho Godzilla movies. And then another one of my newest books is 42, Discovering Faith Through Fandom, which I co-wrote with Eric over here, which nobody will be able to see is because this is a podcast. And Invisible. I have an invisible friend. Don't judge me! <laughs> he talks too. Did you hear that? 
I'm not crazy. Anyway, it is a 42-day devotional for geeks and nerds. Awesome. So what is, let's start Pandora's Box. What's that about? It is set in a future war where a, uh, where a female soldier is single-handedly defending the world's last stockpile of WMDs from a ruthless dictator. Okay. And what about ninjas and talking trees? Still working on the one-sentence summation of that one, but I'll give it a try. It is about an accountant who is transported to a very quirky fantasy world, and he finds out that in order to get home, he must become the prophesied hero of legend and liberate Laconia, which is the name of the world he goes to, from a very eccentric tyrant named Marcus the Morally Dubious. Who's the talking tree? His name is Sensei. He is the mentor for George. He's the one who tells him, oh, you are, the, you are that prophesied hero of legend. I'm going to teach you how to do it. And in order to do it, you have to do, among other things, duel a very mean bonsai tree. <laughs> Sounds interesting. <laughs> and um, there are ninjas in it, too. You can't go wrong there. Well, of course. And then uh, Children of the Wells, what's that about? Oh, that one's a little hard to pin down. That's a big thing. Um, it's set the in children who fall in wells. <laughs> actually, we found that there's actually a charity of some kind that uh, with a similar name to that. A uh, wells uh, refers to in this world. It's kind of like Full Metal Alchemist. You know how in Full Metal Alchemist, the world was kind of a variation of Europe in the night in the early 20th century. This one is uh, kind of. It's a modern, like probably the pre-information age world except they have magic. But magic in this world is a physical substance that they use for power, and it pools up in wells. And there are myths throughout the many of the cultures in this world that say that mankind sprang from the wells. Now, some think those are myths, some think, take those as actual religion, but then there are all those who have a different take on spirituality in the world. But what happens is that there is a gigantic cataclysm at the beginning of the series, so it's post-apocalyptic as well, where it seems as though all of the magic has been exhausted. The wells are empty. And there was a select, well, they're called the select, there was a small portion of the population that could absorb the energy that radiates from the magic and do the sorts of things that you would see mages do, control fire, make ice, shoot laser beams, things like that. And they seem to have lost all of their powers. However, what they start to f figure out as time goes on is the magic isn't necessarily gone, it's just very different now. And I would explain more, but that would spoil a lot of stuff. 42, Discovering Faith Through Fandom, what's that about? As I said, it's a 42-day devotional, and we take, Eric and I, he came to me first and suggested that we write this because he said there, all, there seems to be devotional books for just about every subculture out there that you can think of, except for nerds and geeks. So he said, why don't we write one? I said, that's a great idea. We settled on uh, after, after someone gave uh, suggest, uh, gave us the suggestion that we call that we make it a 42-day devotional in reference to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because 42 is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. So each entry is about five to eight hundred words. Is, you, you read one a day, and it, it uses things from geek culture to illustrate spiritual truth. So we talk about video games, comics, Doctor Who, Star Wars, Star Trek, all of it, and then at the end. It gives what we call quests of the day. So it's like these little activities for you to do in light of what you just read. It could be journaling. It could even be, it could be something as simple as journaling. It could also be something as big as, say, going to a local charity or church and doing volunteer work. Awesome. 
Sounds great. Where can people find you guys online in your work? You can find me on several places. Uh, my Twitter hashtag is NathanMarchand7. I'm also on YouTube, so you can just search Nathan Marchand. You should be able to find my channel. And my website is NathanJSMarchand.com. And I have a Facebook, a professional Facebook fan page, which I believe is Facebook.com slash NathanJSMarchand. What about you, Invisible Friend? you have a website? Yes, uh, you can find me by searching for Nerd Chapel. Nerd Chapel is on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Nerd Chapel. It is also on Blogspot, so nerdchapel.blogspot.com. Or you can search Nerd Chapel on YouTube and find a few videos as well. Thank you, guys. Thank you very Thank much. You. Allow me to introduce myself. So first of all, I'm Robert Kenzie. I am the writer behind the webcomic Dire Destiny. You can find that at diredestiny.com. It's an ongoing webcomic. It's also a graphic novel. And right now we are just publishing book four of Dire Destiny. And through some kind of weird, strange scheduling confluence that I think a time machine was evolved, our print book is ahead of the webcomic somehow. Uh, the print book is going to, you know, what book four goes into October on the website. But you can read it now if you buy the, web, uh, if you buy the print book at the website right now where it's available. It now, what is Dire Destiny? Dire Destiny is a, an ongoing story, uh, sort of like sword and sorcery meets the X-Files. You've got three heroes on the run, fighting for their sanity and survival in a world in the middle of its own dark age. We've got three main characters. The first one, he's a big guy with red hair and a big sword. His name is Eric, sometimes called Eric the Wolf. He's a bandit and a highwayman, but also a man of faith, but a man who is losing his faith, for they say that his gods are dead. Certainly his gods have been silent for quite a long time, but will he be able to find his faith? Will he be able to come back into society? Well, you're going to have to read the book to find out about that. Secondly, we've got another character with blonde hair and this very strange device on his arm, and he's called Kells, sometimes Kells the Thief, sometimes Kells the Liar. He's got a number of unfortunate epithets attached to his name. And this strange mark that he wears, this weird power that he bears, does he really control it or does it control him? How did he come by it? Well, you're going to have to read the books to find out about that. And we have another character, this young girl, her name is Nissa. Now, she is an elf child. Her, parent, her people supposedly disappeared from the world hundreds of years ago. But how does she find herself then, as an orphan, raised among humans, but never truly able to live among them well? Will she be able to find her lost heritage? You're going to have to read the book uh, to find out about that. All three of these outsiders living on the fringes of society must come together to find out why their world appears to be falling apart all around them, what can be done about it, or if it is indeed far, far too late. And this is the story of Dire Destiny. So, as I said, I am the author. The artist is my good friend, Mr. Mikoy Ostapuk. He works in Poland. I work in... Virginia. We bring it to you transatlantically via the magic of the internet. Uh, Dire Destiny Books, we have a couple of other offerings, some cool new stuff that's available right now. Uh, first of all, I also write a number of supplements for the Pathfinder role-playing game, and you can find those either at our website, diredestiny.com. Uh, some of them are also available at paizo.com in their web store. There's a series called The Very Last Book Series. It starts with the very last book about mounted combat, because why would anyone write another one after my definitive edition? And then there's the very last book about alignment, which will make your players actually care about your character's alignments. Uh, and then we also have the very last book about war, which is a revamped mass combat system for Pathfinder, and all of those proving very popular over at the Paizo website. Uh, also, we have a brand new book out, a very unique book. It's called Hammer on Stone, Poetry of the Dwarves. I guarantee you the only book full of dwarven poetry you're going to see at Gen Con this year. And in fact, I vastly underestimated the demand for dwarven poetry because I'm almost sold out of it. I've only got two copies of it left here. It's probably going to be gone either before the end of the day or else first thing in the morning. And finally, the biggest news of all, um, I am actually partnered with Alina Pete, who is the writer and artist for WordGeek Comics.com, and that's it. That's at WordGeek.com. 
And the two of us are working together on a Kickstarter for a brand new card game. It's called Twilight Arcana Queens of the Twelve Realms. And it's a uh, casual social card game for two to five players. It takes about 45 minutes to play. And we're working with a, a vast number of other artists from around the internet. People have worked on webcomics and games and things like that. We're creating a really, really gorgeous deck that's got the look and feel of a tarot deck. Uh, so it's got all these colorful characters in it. Uh, it's basically it's based partly on the tarot as well. So it's got some corresponding cards that go to the tarot. And it's uh, going to be a really beautiful piece of art in its own right and a fun game besides, as the various players are vying with one another to collect and influence all of the queens of the 12 realms on the table. And to do that, they play kings and knaves and dragons and coins and keys and swords and suns and all kinds of other cool cards uh, that come into the mix. And of course, the, uh, their opponents try to thwart their ploys as it goes around. It's very adversarial, back and forth, attack and defense kind of game. Very social game, a lot of fun. And you can find the information for that if you go to Kickstarter. Uh, you can search for Twilight Arcana. Uh, and also, if you go to DireDestiny.com, there's a banner link there right now. It's going to be up. The Kickstarter just went live at the beginning of Gen Con. And it's going to run for at least another 30 days. So plenty of time to get in on it. The buy-in uh, to get the game itself is only $30. And that includes shipping anywhere in the United States. And there's a lot of other cool uh, rewards there as well if you want to back it at different levels. And that's what's going on at Dire Destiny Books. And surely it's a mind-blowing, it's mind-blowing how much we've got going on. It's our biggest year yet. And I thank you for taking the time to listen to my spiel. Well, thank you. I'm Robert Neil Gagger. I have uh, two books for sale. One is a collection of novellas. They're very sword and sorcery focused, and each one can be read without reading the others. I try to make each story so you can approach it without any prior knowledge. And then my uh, other book is The Ebony Alliance, which is a novel that is my first and uh, it's basically a kind of a detective slash murder mystery that uh, includes vampires as the antagonists and then uh, Spirians who are magic users as the protagonists and it shares the same world as the collection of novellas uh, Razorlands and Other Tales. And then next Gen Con I'll have uh, my second book out and I have uh, free samples of that on my website currently. And where can people find you and your books online? Uh, RobertNeilGeiger.com well, thank you. All right. Thanks. Thanks for the inter interview. Appreciate it. I'm uh, Doug Rudder. And I'm Sherry Rudder. <laughs> and I'm Becca Rudder. <laughs> uh, can you describe uh, your books? Well, we have, a, we have a variety of books. We've got uh, my, my brother's set is a five-book uh, epic fantasy set. And uh, we also have anthologies with science fiction and fantasy short stories, uh, which my daughter is in, and, and uh, she's in our next anthology as well. We've got books with science and fiction and fantasy, uh, poetry, and short stories. So we have a, a wide a wider variety of things. The Shadow of the Bear sounds like an interesting <laughs> title. What's that about? That's his father's book, and it's kind of its own thing. We call it Frontier Fantasy because it's set in the Old West. It's not a Western. It's kind of a fantasy. It's written kind of like in the 40s, and they would have the serials in the theater, The Perils of Pauline. It's kind of written that way with each chapter as a cliffhanger, and you move on to the next one so you can find out what happened in that one. So, And you're never quite sure if the bear and the Indian are the same entity or if they're different people. Or <laughs> so, It's interesting. That's cool. I think it's really cool you got a whole family <laughs> publishing house basically going on here. What about Rudderhaven? What, what's uh, this anthology? The Rudderhaven anthology is something we started, uh, I guess, three years ago now uh, because uh, we had mostly fantasy. People were asking if we had science fiction. I like to write both. And uh, so we put together some anthologies that have both science fiction and fantasy in them. Um, 
So each each one has its own theme. We had chance meetings, and then we had revelations. Next year will be lost and found. So that's what holds the stories together. They're not related otherwise, but it's just fun. <laughs> and it's just not you guys. It's, there's a few other authors yeah. mixed right. in, right? Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah, we've got a few other authors. In, uh, some of them are, are here, like this year's anthology, C.S. Marks is going to be in. Uh, we had uh, B. David Spicer, who's been in a variety of anthologies. C.K. Dethridge uh, has been in the Star Trek Strange New Worlds anthologies before. And uh, she's written for us, and she's got a couple of, of books herself here. That's my sister. So, <laughs> yes, it's a family affair. <laughs> That's great. So where can people find you guys and your books online? Well, we do have a website. We have a rudderhaven.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page for Rudder Haven, and our books are available on Amazon or other online booksellers. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Tom Gandolfi. I am an author and a publisher. I'm the uh, my publishing house is Tanstaffel Press. I have four books currently on the market, which are three cyberpunk books: The Corpgov Chronicles, starting with an 80% solution. And I also have a science fiction book, the first of a series, called Toy Wars. So that's an enticing title, The 80% Solution. What's that referring to? So The 80% Solution is a combination between um, Sherlock Holmes' The 7% Solution and the business concept that 80% of any problem can be solved with 20% of the effort. All of the books in that series are um, corporate catchphrases. The second one, thinking outside the box. The third one, the bleeding edge. The fourth one's going to be paradigm shift. They're all corporate catchphrases. Okay. And uh, and how long have you been writing? Uh, Thirty some years. But I only really started doing this, uh, you know, quote call it professionally, uh, three years ago. <clears throat> and I started with an 80% solution and Toy Wars. I brought them both out at the same time. What's your writing method? How do you approach these stories? Do you plot them out in advance? Do you just kind of write by, as you go, write by pantsing, write by seat your pants? You know, it's when I first, when I wrote my first one, Toy Wars, I was so anti-outlining um, that I was unreal. Um, I learned my lesson if you will, and now I do um, outlining for all of my stories, but I use it as a guideline, not a straitjacket. So it can morph as time goes by. If I see something happening in the story that would be a better way to go, I'll take I'll take that uh, that alternative. Where can people find you and your work online? <laughs> Tanstaffelpress.com. That's T-A-N-S-T-A-A-F-L Press.com. You can also find us on Amazon as you know as ebooks and print books. And I'm Bruce Graw. I'm also an author under the Tanstaffel Press umbrella. banner umbrella, I guess, if you want to use another corporate reference. The uh, <laughs> by the way, Tanstaffel it stands for there ain't no such thing as a free lunch, which is a Heinlein uh, reference. reference. But uh, the idea is that. You can't just expect to write a book and then suddenly instantly become a huge success. You have to work, put your blood and sweat into it and make it a, a, a thing on your own. I've got uh, two books that are a part of a series called The Demon Tales, Demon Holiday and Demon Ascendant, which are about a demon who gets sent to Earth on vacation. And I also have the first book of a superhero series called Metamorphosis. The first book of that series is Lady Hornet.
And uh, where'd you come up with those concepts? Uh, I don't know. Uh, the demon holiday one, I just, I, I got the idea. What if they sent a demon on vacation or to Earth? And I wrote the first three or four chapters of it. And Tom, my pub, who would soon one day be my publisher, thought it was the greatest thing he'd ever seen me write. I, we, he and I have been friends for a long time. We write, had always written short stories and stuff all the time. So I started thinking about it and eventually fleshed out the whole series a whole of two books out of it and i'm going to do a third eventually and then the lady hornet one is just i've always been a fan of 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 uh superheroes and now with the marvel cinematic universe being so successful i i just started thinking about my own series of superhero stories and you talked about how you can't just publish a book and expect it to take off do you have any suggestions for authors out there like what they could do to help spread the word well, it's a new it's a new world right now for, for authors. There's a lot of opportunities that we didn't have before. It used to be if you wanted to get published, you had to you had to write a book and then submit submit it by sending out copies to all these publishers and hope somebody someday would actually read one and send you something other than a rejection slip. Now you've got self publishing, indie publishers, vanity presses, lots of different options for you. The if I had any advice, it would be to just explore those options, read. Uh, self-help books about how these things are done come to conventions like this one and talk to publishers big and small that are there you know, learn about it uh, the first step is learning about it can you be found in the same place or do you have a different website uh, and I'm in the same place tanstafflepress.com okay. alright well thank you thank you my name is Christopher Bear. that's B-A-I-R I am a formerly published author who's now being re-signed to Tanstaffle Press uh, I got a trilogy that will be coming out. It's a Dark Elf Ninja trilogy. Uh, the first book is The Bloodshed of Mercenaries. It is a cyberpunk novel. And it's about a Dark Elf Ninja, which is the most absurd thing you can think of. But I try to write it as though it fits so naturally in this world. Who teams up with mercenaries who steal information from corporations for other corporations. And in this novel, the main mercenary has decided that he's had too much. He had a near-death experience, so he wants to retire. But with all the secrets you have from years of raiding, how can you really retire? So that's what the first book is about. The second book, eventually, which will come out, is a survival horror story with the same characters, but now a new theme to the book. And that is what happens if you're in the middle of nowhere between two warring dragons. And the third book, which will also be coming out from them, that's The uh, Culling of Evil, no, Calling of Evil is the second one, sorry. <laughs> and um, the third book, which will eventually be coming out, is Urban Fantasy. And that's still the same characters, but in this one they're trying to stop future elves from coming through to Earth. And she has to decide, the main character here, the Dark Elf Ninja, has to decide, does she want to go back to her world? Does she want more elves in this world? Or does she want to help join and stop the invasion? So, Sound really good? Thank you. Uh, I heard you're going to uh, contract signing right here. Right. Uh, they brought the contracts here. I've read them. As you can see, here they are. The details. No, they, can't, they can't see it. But yeah. yeah. Trust me, they're there. You can see it, though. Uh, here, let me hold it up to the microphone a little bit better. But uh, no, what's going to happen is people can see that this is what happens when writers sign contracts. They read through it. There's just page after page, details. But in the end... You can witness, uh, the people here can witness me just sign it, he's going to sign it, I'll have a copy, he'll have a copy, 
And from then on in, he acquires the rights to be able to publish the book. That's awesome. <laughs> and and if people are there, you can be like, no, I don't like this, and I put pressure on them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right. That's, that's exactly what you should do for people who want to get published, is if somebody gives you a contract, you're allowed to say, I don't agree with this. I don't like this. Can you change this? I would like this added. Every publisher is willing to work for you if they're ethical. So with this, I had a few things I wanted to change. He went back. He brought some more stuff. I asked for a couple more things. I agreed with some of the changes he made. So at the end, we're at a point where we both agree with the contracts, and now I'm here to sign it. So your writing method, getting these books, is this your first books published? Uh, this was formally published as being brought back out with a lot changed because the old publisher went under. He was more of a uh, role-playing system publisher than a novel publisher. So, But my writing method is just pretty much... What can I do to just push that line a little bit more and make people think about what they're actually reading? I mean, a Dark Elf Ninja just doesn't sound like it should appeal to anyone. And by the end of the book, you really care who this character is. That sounds really good, and good luck with your new book, and uh, thank you. Thank you. My name is Tracy Chaudhry. And name your books, please. Um, well, I have the first series, which is called Shadow Over Shandahar. And each of the books has a subtitle as well. And then my second series is called Dark Mists of Anslar. And each of those also has a subtitle. And what's the concept of your books? Um, the first series deals with a world that's cursed to repeat itself. With a population of people that doesn't know what's going on. The same population of people living and dying for centuries. Everything coming to a stop and starting all over again. Um, only a very few select people know what's been going on, and they've been leaving clues behind for themselves to the next upcoming cycle so that they can gain in power and ultimately do whatever it is that nefarious people do when they want to do, do it. Prophecy foretells the coming of someone who can possibly end this curse, and you can imagine that these sorcerers who have been gaining in power might not want that to happen. My heroes have failed four times before, by the time you get to the first book, we're in the middle of the fifth cycle, and the burning question is, what's going to be different about the fifth cycle than the four that have come before that's going to help them persevere over the odds and create or enable the world to forge a new future for itself? You said you have two different books, right? Two different book two worlds? Different okay, yeah. and what's the other book series, please? The other book series is not as easy to explain in a simple <laughs> blurb like that, but it starts out with a young woman who has been given the task of um, bringing a new talent back home with her. And a talent in my world is considered um, um, someone who has the ability to cast magic. Shandahar is full of magic only certain people have the ability to use to tap into and use that magic and only certain people have the the quality or or the ability to be powerful to be powerful sorcerers one day and so they have learned about a young man who lives pretty far away and they've asked Damaris to bring him home, essentially, to the Citadel. For the magic, is there a certain uh, flavor to the magic? Is it like nature magic? Is it just an, a broad overall kind of magic that they could have access it's to? It's a broad overall kind of magic. Um, sorcerers use 
a type, a, an element of that magic, while druids use another element. So, um, and, and, and the way they use the magic is different. So without getting too, too deep in the whole, you know, magic spectrum there, if it'll kind of give you an idea of how things might be a little bit, run a little bit different on Shandahar than it might be in other fantasy realms. And uh, I see some artwork here. Is is that artwork you did, or is there another artist? I have awesome artists. The first one is Carol Phillips. She did most of the artwork for the Shadow Over Shandahar series. Um, I also have Lindsay Archer. She did a couple of the covers for the Shadow Shadow Over Shandahar series, as well as participated in the newest Shandahar volume that's going to be coming out this year. Um, Actually, it's a collection of short stories that she did a lot of the internal artwork for. Um, a gentleman by the name of Oliver Wetter did the uh, artwork for the Dark Mists of Anslar series. And then um, Eve Ventrue and Kayla Woodside did the internal artwork for those books. And how long have you been writing? I've been writing for the past 13 years. Um, but the first book was published in 2005. So since 2005, I've been published. What kind of method do you use to approach your writing? Are you someone that writes by a seat of their pants, you write as you go, or do you plot ahead in advance? Um, it depends on the type of writing I'm doing. If I'm writing just my own stuff, you know, my own books that I've been plugging along for on for years, um, a lot of the time I'll, I'm like one of those fly by the seat of your pants type of people, knowing where I want to go but not exactly how I'm going to make it there. Um, if I'm writing for someone else... Um, if they have a theme that they want me to go by or another world that I'm writing in um, I get all the details that I can about that world or about that theme that they want me to write about and I try to plot something out a little bit more than just flying (laughs) and I guess that's probably to show them and make sure that they're going to be happy with the direction story yes definitely and where can people find you and your work online? People can find me on Facebook under TR Chaudhary um, and under World of Shandahar. Um, they can also find my website at www.worldofshandahar.com. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you. The elves speak of our kingdom as young, and in their timeless eyes, Young it may be, but we have bled to keep it our own. On its distant, wild borders, a band of elite warriors stands, protecting the vulnerable against our enemies. They are the watchers, the hunters, the rangers. Hey guys, this is Marks up at Gen Con in Indianapolis, and I'm at the film festival portion with a couple of filmmakers who work, who are producers of The Rangers, A Shadow Rising, and can you introduce yourselves, please? Hey, I am Skip Lipman. And Jerry Mosmack. And uh, let's talk about Rangers. What, what's Rangers about? You want to start? Sure, I'm saying Rangers is about an uh, elite force of veteran soldiers 
out on the borderlands of the kingdom of Oleron. And these soldiers are rangers. Uh, and anybody who is familiar with the fantasy genre uh, knows about rangers, and they ply their woodcraft and uh, particular warrior skills uh, to defend the kingdom of Oleron. And our rangers specifically, so in our character development, along with our world development, we start the story off, it's an age of peace, um, it's been an age of peace for some time, but there, there was a great war between the elves in our world and the humans, and so many of these rangers are veterans of that war, many of them are struggling with their own demons, very PTSD-like. Um, and so rangering is kind of a good fit for them because it puts them out in the wilds, on the border where they have a job to do. It's very militaristic. Uh, they enforce the king's law in the land um, and basically are the eyes of the king to make sure, you know, that because they are on the borderland, uh, bordering the northern barrens where a lot of orcs and trolls and things are known to live and occasionally come across the river, the cold fell, into the borderlands or into the southern kingdom of Oleron. And so that's really where our story picks up. And what our story is, is pretty much about is there is a, a, an increase, there's increased activity uh, going on in the borderlands. And the rangers are, again, a small band in a time of peace. Um, and, and, but they're the first ones to really... The first line of defense. The, fir the first line, against exactly. Against that new challenge, the shadow rising. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, I see that you guys have been wearing some of this, uh, like armor. And uh, are, you, are you both, do you both make appearances or act in, in the movie or, excuse me, in the web series? Okay, so it's actually not exactly a web series and it's not exactly a movie. What we, what we developed through a successful Kickstarter, we started off with um, the goal to create a web series and tell the story that we were passionate about. As we came upon the success of the Kickstarter, we were able to put together uh, almost over an hour's worth of content. So what we've ended up with is uh, what we feel is a very strong pilot for hour-long episodic series where we feel like we could really um, uh, tell this this story, and and that episodic series allows you to develop the characters, uh, have uh, a, a vast amount of time that ten hours or thirteen hours in a season allows you to ex really explore the world, and and that's what we were interested in doing: developing this world, exploring it, and yes. Um, I, I, got, I get to play one of the uh, lead rangers in the uh, Wolf Pack, which is led by uh, Lieutenant Brander Noak, also known as Wolf. And um, Jerry is... Um, I'm also a ranger. I'm a ranger in a different squad. Um, the rangers work in squads of four. Um, you have a tank. Um, what's interesting is both Flint Tanner, Skip Lippman, and... Thane, Jerry Mosmack, are both the tanks on their team. So we're the more heavy, heavy, heavily armored unit that tends to do a lot of the, the the bashing and slashing and getting in there. Then you'll have an archer, you know, more lightweight scout type unit, and of course the leader who who organizes and uses that team effectively to get 
the job done in that sort of very elite special forces type tactical fashion. As, as Skip mentioned, you know, we have a, a world that we've created, the character development around this whole story. Um, it's very rich, um, a lot of time, you know, again, you wouldn't know it by looking at the two of us, but we're, we're pretty much geeks and just love geeking out on this stuff um, and, and really get into the, the story uh, of it um, as much as we get into the, the process of filmmaking as well as the, you know, playing in front of the camera, acting in front of the camera. Yeah. And I just want to make sure I'm clear. So it's you're going to release it as a web series first, but they combine into a one-hour pilot? Or are you going to... okay, so, so the distribution model is, at this point, we have just started. We really just finished putting the film together. So we shot last August. We had um, uh, a year in post-production. Uh, we just wrapped post-production. Uh, we've had a first small run of DVDs. Um, we are looking for distribution. I mean, we'd love to um, have a traditional distribution either through somebody like a Netflix or um, uh, HBO, Star, Cinemax, something AMC, like that. Right. Anybody, sci-fi, come on, bring it. Yep, bring it. <laughs> and, uh, and be able to develop our, our concept into the hour-long episodic, you know, much like Game of Thrones and that kind of thing. Um, Alternatively, and there's our, our trailer playing over there. Alternatively, we have we're, we've developed what we feel like is a, a very strong, and and we are lucky enough to be sort of at this crest of technology where um, independent filmmakers like us can still get their film out there and um, self-distribute. So you have uh, all kinds of different venues like. Um, uh, Vimeo, uh, VHX, um, I, there's outlets like Roku where you can develop your own Roku channel and, um, and we're very interested in developing those kind of concepts, uh, vetting the best independent sci-fi and fantasy and, and developing that if we don't find our uh, traditional outlet. You mentioned earlier the crowdfunding campaign which was a success. Uh, how much did you guys raise? Um, we raised just over $58,000. Great. And for anybody else who might be trying a crowdfunding campaign, is there any tip or tips you would like to share that, that you learned doing it? I would, you know, I, that was about the point where I came in. The Kickstarter campaign was already already underway. Um, Ron, Ron Newcomb, who who wrote the Rangers, uh, it was it started really in his head, his idea. We all worked on, on helping to write and shape the story, again, that character development. But Ron and Skip were already on the Rangers um, and had the Kickstarter up and going. I had done some artwork for them, um, but really came on about the, the time where the Kickstarter campaign um, was, was coming up, uh, was, it was in, in motion. So again, Skip or Ron could probably talk to speak to um, uh, that a little bit better than me as far as what, what was involved there. But one of the things that I would I would take away and, and that I see in successful uh, uh, Kickstarters and as a, an art director 
uh, for USA Today full time myself, you know, and just having an, an eye for, for art, you know, is a, a high level of art. I would recommend anybody going at it to really work on your presentation, uh, make it as professional, polished, and clean as possible, and, and, and just, you know, don't cut corners on your visuals, you know. I mean, try to bring the, the best presentation, the best uh, visual presentation and art that you can to it. I think that's a I think that's a key selling point. I think you know that really grabs people. Whether you're doing a board game, minis, whatever, film, you know, um, great images, great imagery, a great visual presentation is going to one uh, establish uh, the uh, the view that that you're serious, you're a professional, your 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 ability to produce at a high level is there, and it's evident in the presentation that you're putting forward. So. Above and beyond presentation, which is absolutely key, um, social media. So you you can't underestimate the value of social media. Um, um, and a passion for your project. There is, if you are not real, if you do not believe in your project, no matter um, how the artwork is, what level of artwork there is, you have to have. You know, I think story is first. Um, presentation and then um, your passion for the project has to come out um, social media is an is an awesome outlet and it, it, it has allowed independent filmmakers and people with um, uh, a vision for a product or you know really almost no matter what it is the ability to expand exponentially the concepts that they have it's, and it's a continual plugging away. And then the, the last pillar of that is delivering. And that's, you know, we're here now at Gen Con. Um, you've got to have the follow through um, and, and deliver a quality product. Is there any particular social media outlets that you found more useful than, than others for crowdfunding? Facebook has, is what they say is where your fans are. Um, your, the industry and your peers are on um, Twitter, so and then um, you share the story through Instagram and and all those other things are to a lesser extent important and and it's and it's all about connecting with the people who support your project, you know, and and getting your voice out there. And doing fantasy, of course, requires a lot about costumes. You guys have any tips on how to do fantasy costumes on the cheap within a budget? Again, I think you know we were fortunate to one have have Skip on the team where you know just able to to make things out of cloth or a strip of leather. Um, you know, uh, I, I I really basically assisted. Um, uh, skip in, in some of that but he really was the the driving force behind the uh, the the costuming and and the building of of much of that some of the money from kickstarter as well as connections that we had went to help augment that but uh, uh, again i'm going to pitch this back over to skip because that really is his department and where he uh he really got it done for us so yeah so we couldn't have done what we were able to do without um, um, our backers, right? So uh, not only uh, did we have awesome 
contributors to the Kickstarter project um, who were behind the project at an individual basis, but then other also companies got involved as well. So without um, people like Medieval Collectibles, um, our friend Chad over there, Baltimore Knife and Sword, uh, the, the, the Stagmar brothers have just been awesome. And um, uh, so there, it, it's one of those things. And, and we, um, as one of the core principles in our studio, um, we use the hashtag together filmmaking because we believe that it takes um, a whole community to come together and uh, create these independent films at a high level. And that's what we're trying to do. And we believe that you don't have to go uh, to Hollywood or the major centers to make great films and tell great stories. And especially with technology today, if you've got a story to tell, there's a way to get it out there if you're passionate about it. And, and during during the Kickstarter campaign, I know probably even before Skip had already started working on on the costuming. Um, but we we spent ten days in August um, last year, last summer, um, shooting uh, in production, shooting the Rangers, and we just saw professionals in the industry come together, artists. Um, it happened, you know, and we, we, we saw it saw it developing, and, and um, it didn't just happen on its own, obviously. We were working hard to make it happen. Again, costuming and everything else, set design, everything that's involved, um, feeding everybody, craft services, um, but, it, but it did happen. And from that, from that experience, it was where uh, Ron, Skip, and myself uh, really decided, let's, let's keep doing this, let's drive it forward, and we we uh, founded the Forge Studios from that, which Skip uh, mentioned. And so the Forge Studios, that is Ron Newcomb, Skip Lipman, and myself now today, uh, along with our film community and partner Bill Walton, who's come on board um, to, to uh, work with us um, as, as part of our, our, our business side. Uh, you know, we, we have a studio in, in play now, and again, just a lot of uh, involvement from the community. Again, other professionals, artists that we, we've worked with and continue to work with, um, and really have this vision for, as Skip mentioned, building this uh, a film industry that really is inclusive um, and, and, and draws off of that passion of filmmakers and artists. Um, and, and, giving, and giving people the opportunity to work in film. What, what we envision is um, a, like a, an incubator system to allow young filmmakers, creative types, you know, whether they see themselves um, in front of the camera, behind the camera, in post-production, and we'd like to give them and open it up to, to give people the opportunity to make films. And in doing so, when, when uh, one of these individuals might, whatever level, we've had students come out and join us, and we will uh, attach them to uh, one of the camera units, and they may act as an assistant or help, but at the same time, they're learning. They're learning on-the-job valuable skills, so there's that training uh, involved at, at all levels. Um, and we're able to do that, again, because of our experience uh, as storytellers, as filmmakers, as artists, but also because of the uh, folks that we're working with. Um, the, the, it might be the DP or the, um, for instance, uh, the 
managing editor of multimedia from USA Today came out on our, our last shoot and ran one of the camera units from us. So you're talking about a lot of experience on, on, on varying or, or all levels pretty much. Um, some of our actors uh, like John Wells and Sabrina Scott and, and, and some of the others that we worked with, um, just their level uh, of acting is, is such that uh, you learn a lot from them as well on set and when, when shooting. So again, it's a it's a, a, a win-win that we're we're creating and establishing there for for everybody in in the film community um, there in Virginia in the DMV area, um, and just looking forward to to what's to come, what's ahead, you know, as we as we continue to work, continue to produce, and 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 grow that community. Great. And where can uh, people find find you guys online? Um, they can find us at. TheForgeStudios.com and um, uh, check out our community filmmaking program. Um, we're offering um, memberships, ways to get involved for, for filmmakers, um, as well as uh, a growing slate of projects. So, I mean, we invite everybody to get involved. Um, uh, enjoy our work as, as, you know, we love making it. Um, we've, we've got stories to tell, and, and together we're going to be filmmakers. Guys. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Marks. This is Simon R. Green. I write science fiction and fantasy series. I think trilogies are for wimps. I've done 12 books and at least three series. There's a film coming out, Judas Ghost, and there are short stories and magazines and anthologies all over the place. You'll find me somewhere. And you're listening to Genre Entertainment. Well, thanks to all of the authors and filmmakers who let Marks interview them. We have links to all of their projects on the show notes, so you can check out their projects. Now, coming up next are episodes with the creator and star of the indie sci-fi time travel series, Timekeeper. Yeah. Then a return visit from game, animation, comic book writer, Christy Marks. Now, she's written for classic animation series like G.I. Joe, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, and Jim and the Holograms. For comic books like Sisterhood of Steel, Amethyst, Sword of Sorcery, and Birds of Prey, and written for all sorts of video games and TV shows. Basically, if it exists, she's probably written for it. <laughs> <laughs> she's also the author of the book Writing for Animation, Comics, and Games. After that, we'll have an interview with Christopher Kentworthy, the author of the best-selling Master Shot series of books. And we'll talk to him about writing and filmmaking and learn more about his Master Shot books and his newest book, Shoot Like Tarantino. Mm -hmm. I think most of us have heard of that guy. It's, it's filming like and not actually the shooting part. No guns. Uh, yeah, I guess you need to clarify that when you're talking <laughs> about Tarantino. <laughs> now, before we go, we want to remind you that you can keep track of us by subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitchers or following our Genretainment Facebook page, Marks' Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marks, our web series at Genretainment.com, or follow all of the shows at scifipulseradio.com. So that's it for today's Genretainment. We'll be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series. Genretainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until, Until next time. time. Bad monkey.